0: Have questions about your health a simple pill won't fix your problems and there's so many points and opinions on the internet that a web search just leaves you more confused so why not take the time and listen to those who know best Rider university's health studies institute presents health 411 truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective right here and now so let's bring it you to your host dr jonathan Carp, professor of biology behavioral neuroscience and health sciences
1: 1077-the-bronk, 1077 the com live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, health care policy, and the business of health care. I'm in the studio today with Antonia Conti, our producer, and our guest, Greg Paulson, the executive director of the Trenton Health Team. Welcome, Greg. Thanks. It's my pleasure to be here. We are very happy to have you. Our topic for today is, in a general sort of way, we're going to be talking about the Trenton Health Team, community health initiatives, and the kind of things you do. So as a way of introduction, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to be the executive director of the Trenton Health Team. And then I'm going to follow that and I'm going to ask you, tell us about what is the Trenton Health Team? Sounds like a plan.
2: So uh, my background, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. Came out here to, to go to school and thought at that point that I wanted to be a physician. And it took me a while as I went through my college career, I was a psychology major, to really figure out what my path would be in healthcare, although it wasn't certainly as deliberate at the time. So I did half my pre-med requirements at college and then did a little time in a post-bac program after that. Um, But I had volunteered in emergency medical services uh, in high school and throughout my time in college. And that was really a wonderful connection for me in helping people and also understanding what health and healthcare were like out in the community. So, I went and did a graduate program uh, in emergency management and became a paramedic. And in New Jersey, all paramedics work for hospitals. So, I got to know how hospitals worked, got to see different departments, and also got to understand how patients moved back and forth within the healthcare delivery system. Uh, that got me into different roles in administration and healthcare, and then brought me to this crazy
1: opportunity at Trenton Health Team. Well, so there can be success for psychology majors out there. <laughs> there there's hope, there's we, there's hope for us hope out there. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you basically, in a sense, pursued your passion. And your passions have sort of changed over time. You pursued your passion. And now you're the executive director of the Trenton Health Team um, here in the local community. And can you tell us a little bit about what is the Trenton Health Team? So,
2: the Trenton Health Team's origins, we're a separate 501c3 in the Trenton community, and our origins and come from.
1: What does 501c3 from, mean? We're
2: a nonprofit. We're non-profit a, a state and federal nonprofit okay. that was formed by the healthcare delivery system in Trenton, uh, and it was formed in response to a crisis. So, the healthcare delivery system, the main anchor partners of healthcare in Trenton are two hospital systems, Capital mm-hmm. Health and St. Francis, one federally qualified health center, Henry J. Austin, and then the city's Department of Public Health. And in 2005, 2006, Capital Health announced plans to close one of their two hospitals, Mercer Medical Center, uh, in, in order to build Capital Health Hopewell, uh, their campus. Hope now Hope now campus. In yep. Hopewell campus. So now they have uh, Capital Health now has Capital Health Hopewell and Capital Health Regional Medical Center, in addition to their other primary care staff. And so at that time, you know, in New Jersey, hospitals have to get permission to close. They have to go through a certificate of need process with the Department of Health. So the State Department of Health asked the mayor at the time, Doug Palmer, what is this going to mean for the health of the city? The mayor said, well, I don't know, but let's figure it out, and brought in a consultant. And the consultant brought together those four anchor institutions, the two hospitals the federally qualified health center and the city health department, and it's important to understand the competitive dynamics in healthcare overall, and especially even in Little Trenton at the time. Um, there was a really strong competition among those healthcare entities. They didn't really talk to each other as much as potentially they should have at the time, and so this process of coming together under the Uh, leadership of the mayor with the help of a consultant and with a nice carrot and stick approach from the State Department of Health, right? An assistant commissioner made some grant funds available Mm -hmm. to help fund the effort and also made some targeted phone calls to CEOs when maybe participation started diminishing that this is really a good thing to be part of. So
1: I'm a New Jersey resident and, and we see a lot of times in New Jersey politics, studies are done and nothing ever happens. Uh, but we're not them. even to the study yet. We're, we're, not, we're not even to the study yet. So the, the, like you-
2: the value of this, the study said what you would expect that it would, okay. that there are challenges with access to care in Trenton, that the community needed to organize itself better, be data-driven, um, that healthcare needed to be coordinated, that efforts, if a hospital is going to close, we need to make sure people get into preventive health care. But what happened in working through that consultant mm-hmm. is that competitors who had never really had the chance to work together started right. to see the value of collaboration. And started to work on things. Even before
1: the study was completed.
2: In the process of doing the study. Oh,
1: wow. That's sort of enlightening. So
2: they started to look at things like, well, what can we do better together that we can't do separately? And monthly meetings became biweekly meetings, became weekly meetings. And by the time they were really meeting weekly, they said, you know, there's something here. Let's form a nonprofit. So in 2010, we were incorporated as a nonprofit. We hired our first executive director in 2011. I came on in March of 2013 as the deputy director and the second employee and today we have just under 30 employees and uh, an annual budget of around $4 million. So our focus then was really how to better connect the community to health care and how to improve the health of the Trenton community. So we had five strategic initiatives initially mm-hmm. to expand access to primary care, mm-hmm. to engage the community, to do community-wide coordination of care, to build robust data infrastructure to understand the health needs of the community, and to participate in this new project that had just started in New Jersey, the Medicaid Accountable Care Organization Demonstration. Okay. Those were our five initiatives. started.
1: And so when the study is sort of initiated and to form a unique Trenton health team, the partnership sounds great, but it sounds like, not to put words in your mouth, but were the Health concerns of Trenton a little bit different than the health concerns of people living other places in the state of New Jersey?
2: I think Trenton's health concerns are reflective of many post industrial urban centers who are struggling socioeconomically. Okay. Um, Trenton is a city of about 85,000 people, uh, kind of a broader area. If you look at the zip codes of Trenton, you get up to about 110,000. Um, so it's was a, one
1: of, that was one of the things I was going to ask you. Trenton Health Team, what is Trenton? For you. Our services
2: are primarily focused in Trenton, and while we have to identify geographic boundaries to that, we try to be as flexible as we can because, frankly, different programs have different ways that they answer that question. So sometimes it's mm-hmm. municipal boundaries, sometimes it's looking at zip codes, and sometimes it's looking at where do patients move kind of organically in a community. We know healthcare is predominantly local, and patients tend to flow among certain institutions most of the time. And so that really drives who are the partners around the table doing this work.
1: Cool. And the other important thing about understanding the Trenton health team is what is health? Um, And listeners to the show will know health is a lot more than going to a doctor's office kind of thing. Um, So in, in, in terms of under your umbrella of the Trenton health team, what is health? You touched on it a little bit, but say it again.
2: So our organization started, I'm going to answer your question a little bit uh, circuitously. That's okay. Um, our organization started looking at what we'd kind of say downstream impacts of health, right? We would look at people who are in the ER 300 times mm-hmm. and say, how do we help those people get better? And one of the first things we did is bring together the two different or the three different emergency rooms that service the community. And each organization, and we put all the agreements in place legally, they brought their list of their top 50 ER utilizers. And what they saw is, you know, one person said, John Smith has been to our facility 110 times. Well, John Smith also went to the other hospitals. <laughs> okay. So his total number wasn't 110, mm-hmm. maybe it was 210. And so first they had to understand need across institutions. And then they would say, okay, well, what's our plan for Mr. Smith? How do we really help him? What are the what are the the non-clinical factors that are driving his healthcare utilizations? Because clearly someone isn't in the ER two hundred or three hundred times in a year for
1: effective treatment. And they're usually is there. That an unreasonable number, or were there a significant? Well, they're amount? usually there because
2: they have unmet social needs, right? Okay, yes, and those, okay. and that's something that healthcare, especially then, is not poised to address. So health, and now if I look at our strategic plan, you know, our our, um, our board at the end of last year updated our strategic plan and rearticulated our mission statement that we are an innovative multi-sector partnership dedicated to the health and well-being of the Trenton community. And by saying health and well-being, I think it more correctly frames for people how we define health. Health is not just clinical health. Health is an overall ability to live your life unimpeded by disease, illness, and able to achieve your full potential. So our work now is not just helping people who are in the ER too much. It's also looking at the vital conditions of the community that are creating these negative health outcomes.
1: And that's, that's what I was hoping that you would touch on, sort of the sociobiological components of what is health and um, and things like that, and um, how, we'll go into some of the details of this, but in a general sort of way, how do the people of Trenton, in the zip codes that you identified, how is the, the Trenton health team helping them? So most of our
2: work looks at taking all of the resources and services and entities in the Trenton community and helping them work together more efficiently and more effectively. Healthcare is somewhat known for its fragmentation, mm-hmm. right? Institutions don't tend to work effectively because they don't know what others are doing. Healthcare, clinical healthcare, is not well connected to social services or the faith community or others that have such an impact on health and well being. So, predominantly, what we try to do is reduce that fragmentation, help each organization make sure the resources they have are most effectively utilized, that members of the community can access services with as few barriers as possible and that the efforts can be coordinated, that we can all push in the same direction.
1: Excellent. Um, we will come back to some of the details, and I'm gonna ask you, how do you know what you need to do in the next segment? And we'll be right back with more healthcare talk after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and
0: 1077 thebronxcom a dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Ride University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences.
1: 1077 The 1077-the-bronc, 1077thebronc.com. Live from the Killarney's Public Health Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp. We are in the studio today with Greg Paulson, the Executive Director of the Trenton Health Team. And in the last segment, he gave us a, a sort of a general overview of the kinds of things that the Trenton Health Team does. Uh, we're gonna get into a little bit more of the details of the kinds of things, the kinds of initiatives that are happening. And I ended the last segment um, sort of how does the Trenton Health Team know what to do? How do you know what the needs of the community are? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know your organization over the years has spent a lot of time collecting data.
2: Yeah, so it's actually something that every nonprofit hospital is asked that same question. Uh, They have an obligation under the Internal Revenue Service Code to every three years do a community health needs assessment. So as an example of that fragmentation we were talking about, in the past, each hospital had done their own assessment. (laughs) <laughs> Which, you know, they exist in the same community. It's the, Presumably, what, why assess it three times from three different places? So one of the first things we did uh, with some grant funding is do the first unified community health needs assessment in Trenton uh, in 2013. And that was really an opportunity for us to not just do it together, but to do it the right way. We did 300 one-on-one interviews and we did 30 community forums where we really went in depth with residents about what is their experience of health care and their own health. And so an important
1: part of the assessments that you're doing within the city, it's not just people from the top looking down in. This is an assessment by talking the pe- to the people who live here. So, it, so it's a bottom-up making the sort of the corporate giants of the town aware of the real needs, not looking down, but and out. Coming you
2: know, it's, right a, it's a quantitative and qualitative assessment, okay. right? We collect data of many types. Some of it is numeric data that comes from, you know, healthcare systems mm-hmm. and claims data and things, but a lot of it is really understanding the perspective of community members who live and work and play and pray. And that, and, that comes from that, talking to yeah, people. Exactly. Okay.
1: And that's why it's called the Community Needs Assessment that you've done, I guess, every three years now.
2: And we're about to release, so we did one in 2013, we did an update in 2016, and both of these were done leveraging the work that was done by a sister organization that covers the whole county right so the county does it but we know while trenton is part of mercer county trenton is also very different from many other communities within mercer county so we're uh, at the end of this month it's going to go live on our website on june 28th going to be rene- uh, releasing the 2019 community health needs assessment uh, and it's actually a community health needs and assets assessment because we really want to highlight all of the assets and resources of the community in addition to its health needs
1: okay and so there'll be a lot of data on the website Will there be a summaries of main points as well? So people don't have to go through every little... <laughs> yeah, the, the overall reports,
2: it's about 130 pages. So there's an executive summary, and then there will be some specific kind of issue topics. And we hope the document is easy to navigate. We don't assume that many people will choose to spend their time reading 130-page assessments. So we hope they can find the relevant information. But people can that if they want.
1: It's, for people in the, it's done by people in the community for people in the community. And
2: it's the most leveraged resource on our website. It's one that's used not just by the hospitals, but by a lot of other community organizations by the city itself, as we're deciding on work, uh, going after
1: grant opportunities. Yeah, and so, and, and what I liked by seeing a preview, the a summary that you guys are able to provide is somebody in there used the word "vote." There's a community, in a sense, been able to vote on what its needs are. Absolutely. And then your organization is sort of designed to meet those needs.
2: One of the challenges in healthcare and public health is how do you really ask the community a question like that? You know, we tend, if we're doing a survey, right, you end up with, I've got all these questions I want to ask. So you end up with a 10, 15-page mm-hmm. survey that takes a half an hour to complete. And people don't tend to answer that. You made so it
1: much simpler. We
2: had to work really hard to get ours down to three questions. You know, mm-hmm. what health concerns affect you the most, what social conditions impact your health, and what do you like most about the community? So that was uh, important to us to make sure that was a really a really easy to answer survey available in English and Spanish, and we got more than fourteen hundred responses from individuals individuals in Trenton.
1: Very very nice. And just to plug the the. Ryder University and the Health Studies Institute. Ryder's been awesome. Ryder's been awesome. And I guess the students here were involved in data entry and things like that?
2: They were involved in data collection, data analysis. They helped, uh, helped us think through a lot of the process. Dr. McCarthy's class has been working with us for a couple times now, and they've been incredible. So we really appreciate the
1: support. Good, and we hope that continues.
2: And it's ongoing, actually. So it is continuing.
1: Excellent, excellent, um, which, which is a really good thing. And so what are some of the things that this, the 2019 survey um, identified? So I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay <laughs> that we talk about the. We can talk about it a, 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 a um, in advance of the official publication. So what, a lot of the things
2: that it identified for us is that we can't treat clinical health needs and social health needs differently. Okay. We need to really address them together. So the overall health priorities, uh, there are nine that we've identified: are um, maternal child health, health inequities, chronic disease, food insecurity, access and nutrition, mental health and substance abuse, adverse childhood experiences. Community safety and safe and affordable housing. That's actually eight. There's some roll-up happening there. Those are, those those are, are the priorities.
1: priorities. Now, just before we talk about the details of what this survey found, have those categories changed over the years historically? Or is that are those were those categories pre-established prior to the survey?
2: They were not pre-established, but yeah. not surprisingly, they're somewhat consistent. So, okay. for example, in chronic disease, obesity, hypertension, diabetes, mm-hmm. cancer, you know, those really are... That need hasn't changed significantly. Okay. I think we've made some progress in some some targeted populations on moving the needle mm-hmm. on those. Um, but overall, in terms of the health needs of the community, I think that's been pretty consistent.
1: So over the basically nine years that the organization has been around, the general needs. I mean, you're, um, you've had successes, but the general needs are sort of the same. And one of the things at home is that Trenton, in a sense, is unique because it's a uh, an inner city. And so the, state, well, let me, the let demographics me, are a little different than other parts of the state.
2: Demographics have shifted quite a bit in Trenton, especially over the last 10, 15 years. Okay. Um, and what I think has happened over those nine years is we've understood more of the root causes for those chronic diseases. So if we're talking about maternal health outcomes, New Jersey overall does okay, but if you look at maternal health outcomes for women of color, they are some of the worst in the world. And so why is that? We really have to look at um, the health inequities of the condition. We have to look at things like systemic racism. We have to look at why are people living in socio socioeconomically impoverished areas and how does that connect to their health outcomes? What is the impact of adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress on a mother's health? Mm-hmm. And how does that translate to the health of her baby? So there's a lot that we have to get to what are the right places where we want to try to intervene to make meaningful change in health outcomes.
1: Cool, and the Trenton Health Team, you're organized around Oh, those sort of things. So so your cat one of your you didn't have a specific category I think for maternal health or the mm-hmm. outcome of we did. the baby. Yeah. Well, there yeah, one, one, oh there wasn't maternal child health. Oh yep. so that okay. I missed yep, it when you were going exactly. through it. But those are the categories the survey identified. Correct. And so now you've got like this organization now. You know, we're no longer at employee number 2. Now we're up to employee number 30 something, right? And you guys are organized to go out and meet these needs and so what are some of the yeah, I think
2: it's there? I think it's important to highlight that our way of meeting these needs is not to do all the work ourselves. That's mm-hmm. not the point. Okay. The point is that there are a tremendous number of social service organizations, well, healthcare organizations certainly, social service, other community-based organizations, nonprofit, faith-based organizations who are all working on the same thing. Thinking about health and well-being and how your efforts support health and well-being is tremendously powerful in aligning efforts. So, part of what we're trying to do is saying, okay, if a doctor is working on treating someone's diabetes, but the only place that they can buy food is the corner store down the street from their house, or where they live, I don't even, can't even call it a house sometimes, and you know the food options that they are available to them there, or they don't have the ability to cook, or there are so many health hazards in their, ho- in their home that they can't even breathe well. So there are a lot of things that go into managing someone's health condition. We're not going to fix the housing ourselves. We're not going to change the food options in that corner store. But we're going to help all our partners align their efforts and work toward determine what our shared challenges, our shared goals, want to be, and then work on them and measure progress toward them together.
1: Okay, and, and the partners you mentioned um, getting grants. So there's probably federal partners. There's probably state partners. There's probably corporate partners. Uh, faith-based partners.
2: So we have a collaborative structure that's been part of our organization since we started, that's what we call our community advisory board. It's first reason to come together was to guide that first community health needs assessment. It had 30 organizations that are part of it at the time. There are more than 100 now. And so our, wow. uh, the, the, the purpose of that group is not just to advise us. The purpose is to allow, create a forum where organizations can align their efforts together. So we actually asked the group last year we need a better name, right? Because Community Advisory Board implies its purpose is to advise Trenton Health Team, and the group decided to rename itself the PATH Partners Advancing Trenton's Health, which okay. is much more reflective of its true purpose.
1: Oh, very nice. So so there's a lot of, and you're also in the nature of meeting, you're bringing people together to, to meet each other. Which can only be a helpful thing too, and it's
2: one because of the places where you know we have the advantage that Trenton's a somewhat smaller community where you know it's big enough to have enough resources, but small enough you can kind of get your head around it and uh, and bring people together.
1: Right, and and there's been a a lot of specifics that have been that, that have come about this um, that we're, we're sort of running out of time a little bit, but we do want to talk about it. But it seems like this was not a difficult group to bring together. It seems like people were willing and. You guys are bringing... Well, we, you know, we started, have the benefit bringing... of hindsight,
2: right? So these are organizations who have to develop the ability to work together and trust one another, to be able to say, I can't do this well, I need your help. Hmm. And that takes time.
1: And, and that is, I would say, the people factor in this is, was probably huge. One of the things that I think people will see is it's more than a partnership. There's politics involved. Um, ultimately, there's going to be money involved because things have to happen um, it's, it's, it's quite an effort. Working
2: really with us on. has to let them do their own jobs better.
1: That's part of that's our a diet. very That's a very positive way of looking at it. And um, as the executive and director, it's, it's often the I, case. I, you're full of positive things, and that, that, that's really, really good. And we want to get into some of these positive things the Trenton Health team is doing. And um, we'll be right back after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077TheBronx.com.
0: From healthcare to the environment around us and everything in between, Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences, is here expanding your knowledge and perspective.
1: 1077thebronco1077thebronco.com live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. You're listening to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp in the studio today with Greg Paulson, the executive director of the Trenton Health Team. And one of the things that we want to learn about the Trenton Health Team is some of the details of the kinds of things that the Trenton Health Team is doing, not alone, but with its partners, helping partners achieve their own goals and helping uh, coordinate medical care in the community, helping create sort of the socio-behavioral environment that will improve people's health. And one of the things that you guys are doing is sort of a a health information exchange. And what is the health information exchange and how does it, the creation of that help meet some of the needs your community surveys have identified? By. Yeah,
2: so healthcare, you know, as a field has spent billions and billions of dollars on information technology, right? We all remember when going to the doctor, right, you used to, you know, open the chart and write down notes and now the you know, doctors come into the room with tablets or laptop computers and spend a lot of time typing, right? So all of those systems are incredibly powerful, but they were never really designed, even though they were supposed to be, they were never really designed to talk to one another. So we've ended up with, and a lot of this is also because of patient privacy laws, individual institution systems can't see what other institution systems Mm -hmm. have. So if you are treated in the ER at St. Francis and you then go see your doctor the next day at Capital Health, the Capital Health doctor cannot see what happened at St. Francis. And part
1: of that's HIPAA laws, right, those privacy laws. So it's a
2: common misconception about HIPAA that it's designed to prevent data sharing. HIPAA at its core was intended to make sure you have access to your information and that access wasn't impeded by administrative barriers. But what it did in the process of protecting privacy is unintentionally create these silos where information tended not to flow. So what what we've done is uh, build what's called the Health Information Exchange. We didn't build it. We partnered with a, a technology provider to do that. But it's a system that creates a single, longitudinal, holistic record for each person who's received health care in the community. So it's the way that a doctor at Capital Health can see what happened at St. Francis, can see what happened at Henry J. Austin, can see what happened at your your other doctor's visit. Uh, And it does that, you know, people, the example that's often cited is, well, banks do this, right? You can use your ATM card in any ATM to get information out. Why can't you do that with healthcare? Well, the banking industry is really tightly regulated, has a really limited data set. There are about eight different data elements to deal with for an ATM. There are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of data elements in healthcare data and they're all non-standard. You know, Am I Greg Paulson, or Gregory Paulson, or Paulson S-O-N, or S-E-N? And what if someone had a typo? What if someone flipped my month and year, or month and day of birth? Right. All of that makes it hard to identify someone. And there's no one identifier that's consistent. Right. Each even
1: hospital, s- each healthcare provider would have their own number for you.
2: And even social security numbers, there are a lot of problems with right. trying to right. use that. So not everyone has one is one of them. <laughs> so what we've done is bring the system together so it creates a place where information can be shared but that what that also does is let us look at the health status of the entire population of the community in relatively real time so this system actually gets data in the moment. So you know patients who receive care at one of the connected institutions, their data is shared. Now they have the opportunity to opt out to say they don't want to do it, but the system is incredibly secure and it's only available for patient care. It's not available for marketing or all these other things. And that is part of the protection under HIPAA. Mm-hmm. Um, but that system lets us say things like we're working on a diabetes program. Well how many patients are there with diabetes in the community? What are their comorbidities and how many of them are in the ER in a month or in six months? Um, and we do that not just with data from the hospitals now, but as a Medicaid accountable care organization in New Jersey, we also have the claims data. So we have the ability to look at what's been paid for, which provides a, a more comprehensiveness. Right. And so, if you had it.
1: that patient who is, you know, going to one hospital and then going to another hospital, then going to a private provider, the system would pick that up and,
2: and allow each of those. So it's not a system that's going to police that activity, but it's a system that would allow each of those providers to see what's happened to the others, so that you can have more coordinated and comprehensive
1: Right, you also help. <laughs> One of the things we've talked about here is things like the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. So somebody is shopping for opioids or physicians, other physicians will know, hey, you already have a prescription for this sort of thing. So
2: that it's system actually, it, actually is, has been built by the state and exists already separate from this. There's a prescription oh. drug monitoring program that uh, physicians are required to go into and check before prescribing opiates. Um, there are a lot of other um, administrative barriers and just practicalities yeah. that sometimes make that difficult. But that's actually required of them oh, uh, a, to use that system. Yeah. So one of the things talking about fragmentation, one of the things we're trying to do now is better connect with that system, because we've made it pretty seamless for doctors and nurses and other mm-hmm. clinicians to get into our system. You know, how many usernames and passwords and everything do mm-hmm. you remember, right? So. How do we take those data in the prescription drug system and bring them into our environment to make them easier to access?
1: And, that, and reducing fragmentation and barriers was one of your goals. And, Absolutely. And this is, so just for curiosity, is this system that the Trenton Health team helped coordinate and build, is it a, a model system? Did you create it just for Trenton, or does it exist in other communities in the state or in the, in the country as well? Our
2: vendor's based out of Michigan. Uh, they're and a national yeah. vendor, and actually, the the, the Decision to select them was made somewhat in coordination with our sister coalition in Camden and our sister coalition in okay. Newark. Um, so, we also have the ability to share information oh. among those communities. So, we really believe they're um, kind of on the cutting edge of how to do this yeah, work. And good. so, some of the newest stuff we're doing now, we've talked about, you know, you, a physician may see a patient who says, you know, I really don't have money for food. How do I get SNAP benefits? Or, I'm having problems with housing, or maybe. I feel unsafe at home. I'm concerned about domestic partner violence. We've created um, a partnership with another platform that makes the that creates a social service directory and makes referrals within that directory. So we've linked that within the health information. So you upstairs. sort of have an
1: umbrella of all the all the organizations and things that you're involved with. As somebody identifies a person needing help in some way. It's a conduit. That. It allows
2: healthcare to make a prescription for food just like a prescription for medicine.
1: Yeah, which is a neat thing. And that's one of the things that we do know about Trenton. It is, in, in, in some regards, sort of a, a food or health desert when it comes to those kinds of things.
2: And that's interesting. So the, Trenton is a food desert predominantly in kind of the north and west wards. But then if you look into the south and eastern part of the community, um, the kind of more common term now is a food swamp. There are places you can get food Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily the most healthy and nutritious food. So how do we improve those access points to have better nutrition for the community?
1: And actually, you're doing all your data collection by zip codes picks that up, which is sort of neat.
2: And sometimes zip code sees it. Sometimes it's um, getting down to to census or block group data Mm -hmm. to be able to really see where is the need or where is the resource
1: yeah pretty, pretty cool and um what you sort of what you things you're saying is there are at there, there's areas of trenton that are not necessarily resource deserts and the language you said that the, trenton has like a rich supply of resources but it's not necessarily mobilized and coordinated in the right way i don't know that i'd go to or, or rich, rich supply source, but rich source i think of assets i think i read somewhere I think
2: I would say Trenton has resources that are not yet fully being used to their capacity, right? And so if any program has underutilized resources, if we get those resources better utilized, it's essentially the same as bringing new resources into the community. So we certainly need to bring more resources Mm -hmm. into the Trenton community but we also need to make sure we're making the best use of everything that we have.
1: And that would be people from Trenton helping people from Trenton. Absolutely. Businesses and all sorts Absolutely. of things.
2: Is- There's a tremendous amount of social connectedness and kind of community resiliency in the Trenton community. Um, and it's something that we have seen more and more part of our work is really highlighting the positive narratives about Trenton. You know, what is the health of the Trenton community, not just in terms of uh, poor socioeconomic conditions mm. or violence but really are, what are the points of light in the
1: community yeah so does, does living in trenton make you strong
2: uh, so people, i don't live in trenton <laughs> um, but i will say that what we've heard from all of our partners who work in trenton and people who live in trenton being if you can make it in trenton you are strong being in trenton makes you strong in fact uh, we have a, a social a social media campaign we did for use smoking Sorry, prevention I'm yeah asking it. um that that's a fun um, It was a really fun project. So public health in general isn't very good at connecting with people. You know, the kind of doctor standing in a lab coat telling you smoking is bad for you really isn't the most effective way to get people to change their behavior. Well, go figure, there are people who know really well how to get people to change behavior, and those are people who do marketing, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How what, what what beverages are we going to buy? What clothing are you well, going to buy? Well, on
1: one side, their you know. job is to get you to buy something that you really didn't need or want. <laughs> so we worked with a, a separate
2: organization that is, they describe themselves as recovering marketing mm-hmm. executives who are now using their talents for a better purpose. And they helped us understand how can we effectively reach youth in Trenton who might be considering smoking, and how do we stop them? How do we get behavior change in that group? Mm-hmm. And we identified through a social media network analysis a bunch of social media influencers who the youth of Trenton know. A lot of them are from Trenton, and we work with them to say, what, tell me what it means to be from Trenton. What, it mean, what does it mean to make it here? And they, without fail, said, you have to be strong. And if you're making it here, if you're day-to-day doing it here, you're strong. So the message of the campaign is Trenton makes you strong, smoking makes you weak. I'm not weak. So the whole message in the campaign is not about that smoking is unhealthy. It's that you're strong. You don't need to smoke. Smoking is is something that's weak. And you're not weak.
1: I, th- and I, um, I looked at some of the TrentonMakesYou.com
2: exam- is the website. So take a look at it. Yeah, TrentonMakesYou.com. Absolutely. It's a really fun campaign. There are two videos there, 30-second videos that were shared on social media, had half a million impressions in two weeks, and they are shot in Trenton, featuring local social media influencers from Trenton. It's all about Trenton.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I mean, I did watch them, and they're very strong. They're very, very, very powerful ads. So I, uh, one features
2: Mike Hilton, who's a. Uh, a national champion boxer from Trenton. The other is Lakeisha Sutton. Again, Trenton native, went on to play professional basketball in Europe and then uh, just finished uh, a tour with the Harlem Globetrotters and is a real tremendous youth advocate and uh, and champion for Trenton. Also has her own uh,
1: lifestyle brand of clothing. Very, very cool. So uh, the segment is coming to an end. We'll be right back after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on
0: 1077 The Bronx and 1077 TheBronx.com. A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Ryder University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences.
1: 1077 Bronx 1077TheBronc.com, live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. We are in the studio today talking with Greg Paulson, the executive director of the Trenton Health Team. At the end of the last segment, we were hearing about how... People from Trenton are strong, and they're strong enough, we know, to resist smoking because smoking will make you weak. And using social media to sort of connect with the people of Trenton to help um, the general umbrella of health. And we talked a little bit about how big that umbrella um, can be. But there's a lot of other positive things in addition to that to make people feel good about Trenton. And I think you actually had a photo contest that was, like I said, yeah, why, that was why a, do I like Trenton? That was a really fun
2: process. So I mentioned for our community health assessment, we asked three questions, right? Mm-hmm. What health conditions are you challenged with? What social conditions impact your health? And what do you like about Trenton? We asked those same questions in the forums. And it was interesting. You know, we, we would be in community settings, a lot, a lot of faith communities, uh, housing complexes. And everyone's talking with us and telling us what their doctors say and everything else. And then we get to the question, well, what do you like about Trenton? The room would stop. <laughs> there would be this little bit awkward silence, some kind of nervous giggles with people shifting in their chairs. And then people look at us and say, nobody's asked me that before. Interesting. And then we'd have a tremendous conversation that was amazingly consistent. People who are here have been here a long time, care about the community, look out for one another. Um, you can count on people. There are a lot of services here. Um, quote, no one in Trenton should ever go hungry, unquote, because there are services here. So we had a lot of connectedness. We said, "Wow, we have to do more to amplify this. So we decided to run an Instagram contest on, um, for the month of April under the hashtag Why I Like Trenton. So we put it out there, and we offered four prizes of $200 each, one for the most likes, and then we engaged some of our social media influencer friends to ju- be judges and pick, pick their favorites. Okay. And the prize was $200, $100 to keep, and $100 to donate to the Trenton-based nonprofit of your choice.
1: Oh, very nice. We wanted to pay it forward. Trenton's, people from Trenton helping people from Trenton. Got to pay it forward. I like that,
2: yeah. And so there were four winners. uh, And so again, on Instagram, hashtag why I like Trenton. Interestingly, all four of them were images of people. Uh, which I thought was particularly interesting. One, The one that had the most oh, likes was of a bike polo contest. There's apparently a very active bike, bike polo scene. Yeah, Who it's exactly that? what you <laughs> think it is, yeah. and it's a really intense game. Uh, but bike polo trend, cycling revolution. So these are really the assets of trend that people don't talk about. Uh-huh. My other favorite, uh, the one that Lakeisha Sutton picked as hers, was taken by a seventh grader at Foundation Academy of four of her friends on a slide. And Lakeisha actually went to what, their morning assembly at Foundation Academy and surprised the girl and presented her with her $100 check.
0: Oh, um, very nice.
2: And uh, she made the donation back to Foundation Academy. It was really nice just highlighting the positivity. Mm. We also, those photos are actually on display right now at Base Camp Trenton. They have a First Friday event as part of the series of First okay. Friday events in Trenton. So we printed 30 of the images and they're on display there for people to see. But check them out. It's a, it's a really neat way to see the, the Trenton community.
1: That's really, really nice. and And I'm assuming you had a lot of responses to that. Yeah, first time we it's did it, we had we had uh,
2: around 60 entries. Um, very cool. And it was we decided to do it two days before it went up, so it was one of those. Let's just try it and see what happens. And wow. people are already saying you're going to do it next is, year, right?
1: Is this is this something people can look yeah, forward to going forward. Absolutely, absolutely. April 2020. You heard it here. I'm, I find it very interesting is that people took pictures of people, absolutely, and not structures or things like
2: that. Very nice. It's one of the consistent strengths and really cherish things about Trenton community is the wonderful, incredible people who are, who are part of the community, mm-hmm. uh, who are working
1: every day to make themselves better and make Trenton better. That's pretty cool. I'm, and I'm inspired by the fact that you're doing all this and working with people.
2: You know, there's there's tremendous power that we've found in really sitting down with people, because I'm not from the Trenton community, right? I'm a, I'm a white guy from California who came to New Jersey. Like, you know, I, I do not live in Trenton. Mm-hmm but I can sit down across the table with someone. This, maybe this comes from my background as a paramedic, but my, my first job as a paramedic was in 2001 in Trenton. And, you know, I still am taken aback by people, the honor people showed me of in their moment, they're feeling the most vulnerable. I show up at their door and they would just let me in and talk with me and depend on me to help them. And that's something that I think often gets lost in the, you know, kind of healthcare industry. But, you know, I, I went into countless homes in Trenton and, the residents of the community would trust me and speak with me. And so even though I'm not working in that capacity anymore, that's really the the kind of trust that we try to earn as we have all our interactions with the community. I remember one of the first um, forums we did in Trinity Cathedral um, for our uh, diabetes program and we call them community forums. We say, you know, a forum is a wrong power dynamic, right? You stand behind a podium, talk with people, and then they kind of look up at you and listen. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. So we went in and we asked the, the pastor to invite some people who have diabetes or have people with diabetes. We bring dinner and we sit around a table together. We share a meal and we have a conversation about whatever they want to talk about. And we ask them of our questions mm-hmm. too. One of the things they said is a lot of the residents were seniors from a Trenton Housing Authority building right near the church. And they all talked about how their social worker in the building was kind of their connection point to everything, really helped them with whatever they needed. And she was no longer there. I think she had retired, but Mm -hmm. they didn't have funding to replace the position. So everyone said, well, we need that. We have this community room. We want services. I said, well, I can't hire a social worker for you, but maybe we can help. Maybe we can bring in a program. How often do you want something? We're expecting once a month or something. I said, well, um, once or twice a week would be great. I said, oh wow, what do we do with that? So we took it back and thought about it and said, well, this has to be some kind of peer mentoring process. So we ended up writing a grant um, to a New Jersey-based foundation, and they funded it. So when we went back to that same group of people to talk about the community health assessment, we said, hey, guys, we're back, first of all. We we came back, and Mm -hmm. we're still here, and we're not leaving at the end of a grant or something. And we heard you, and we took your idea, turned it into a grant. We came back, and we're we're here with $25,000. Now we can do it. And we want to hire one of you to be a peer mentor for the room, for the building. And they said, that's really great, but we're actually income restricted. We don't want more income because it would jeopardize our eligibility to be in this oh, building. Probably. Okay. Said, oh, wow, you know, okay, we have to, again, we, we assumed we have to listen. And so they said, well, what if we have two or three of you who volunteer your time and we'll use the funds instead of paying you Instead of bringing snacks to these sessions, maybe we can provide dinner once a week and have another reason for you all to come here. And so we'll pay more to train people and more for some incentives. So we really developed this program along with our partners in the community to really listen to what they need and what's important to them. So just the power of asking, what do you need? What's important to you? How can we help? And then really thinking about how to do this in a way that's right for the community not necessarily that's right or convenient or even the first thought for us
1: and, and I see that as a theme for the Trenton help absolutely I, you, I mean I like your word power of asking and asking and then listening and to and li- the, listening, that's, I'm yeah. the, second the second answer second part's but, important listening, too listening is key yeah and being able to follow through on that and it sounds like a like a, a really important thing um, but you guys do more than run contests right a, a, and listening you also do things that are sort of um, uh, tangible and the, the, the word I'm going to throw the word at you, tactical urbanism. And you run with that and tell us like what you're doing. So a lot
2: of our work is looking at the physical conditions of the environment, the place. So tactical urbanism is a way to look at, um, in this particular instance, street safety. So if you talk about complete streets, that means looking at streets, and they're designed for all uses, not just cars. So cars, bikes, walking, mm-hmm. um, playing around the edges. And so tactical urbanism is a way for a community to kind of try on changes in the streetscape on a temporary basis. So we do a series of community meetings and what's called design charrettes. We bring in street experts and try this stuff. And then what we end up doing is have a community day where we come out and let's say we're talking about maybe extending the curb cuts or changing the striping in the intersection. You do it in a temporary way, make it fun and artistic. You can do it in spray paint or chalk paint so it lasts a day, a week, a month, but the community gets to be part of redesigning their own space in a way that makes it safer. So we're doing that along Brunswick Avenue par- as a part of one of our grants, and uh, mm-hmm. in a couple weeks is the actual paint day uh, toward the end of the month when the community's going to come out along with Leon Rainbow, who's a social media mm-hmm. influencer and a graffiti artist yes. in Trenton, helping us really redo the intersection in a way that will improve the street and be fun and artistic at the same time.
1: And the idea is to by it, making it safety, people driving will slow down. That there and are pedestrian safety. Yeah, exactly. People walking will have more space. Yep, exactly right. Things like that. And this is uh, sort of a, part of a national campaign.
2: Yeah, and, it's... Um, other
1: cities have done this. Other cities have done it. Success. There's a
2: ton up in Jersey City uh, as well as outside the state, Um, but it just reflects, you know, we we still provide services one-on-one for people. We still work. We have a care management team who works tirelessly in the community every day helping people kind of get back on their feet, but we're also looking at these health behaviors, community conditions, really looking at the vital conditions, the connectedness, the resources of the community that end up creating the overall health outcomes. So we're not just gonna help the people who are in the ER 300 times a mm-hmm. year. We're gonna try to prevent them from getting to that point in the first place. Right. Uh, one of my colleagues has the, the metaphor of, you know, someone's in the, the ER 300 times a year, they've already fallen off the cliff, right? How do we build a fence so they don't go off the cliff in the first place? We catch them sooner.
1: And so one of the things I wanna ask you, you're, you guys are involved with a lot of different things and there's, you probably have a lot of different ways of measuring success with all the different things you're measuring and these, surveys every 3 years or so. Um what should we look for in the community that that we know that the Trenton Health Team like we can see, you know, photos, Instagram photos. We might be able to see an intersection that is reorganized for a way. What, how are the people out in the community going to be able to know that the Trenton Health Team is having success?
2: Well, the individual health outcomes probably won't see because unless you experience them, you're not gonna know because of patient privacy. What you will see more and more of is the community looking and feeling different, you know, from the changes in the street to more businesses coming back to Trenton, graduation rates Mm -hmm. improving, people staying in classes, uh, businesses relocating, the economy getting better. Crime rates going down, the community feeling safer, people being proud to be part of that community. All okay, maternal health all of those, outcomes
1: being better. Absolutely. And all those
2: lag, though, right? All of our kind of yes. state-reported health data, the publicly available data, takes you a year, two years to really see the numbers. We want things sooner. We want ways to see sooner. Are we having an impact?
1: And I, I'm assuming the goal, then, is to, to have a long-term impact, to have the Trenton Health team around for a very long time and just... You want more people in Trenton? Being It'd be wonderful
2: if the system worked so well together, all the systems that they didn't need us anymore. I don't know that that's going to be the case in the foreseeable future. But I will say New Jersey overall, and Trenton, I think, is a real point of light among this work nationally. These cross sector partnerships working to improve health are in existence all over the country, and it's a pretty new field looking at how do we understand how these organizations work and how do we do this better? How do we measure it? How do we make it successful? How do we make it sustainable? So we're really proud to be part of all those efforts.
1: Yeah, and we do want to hear more about it. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from Killarney's Public Health Studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of the Rider University Health Studies Institute's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of healthcare. I hope today's program has helped inform you about the work and the initiatives of the Trenton Health Team. Thank you, Greg Paulson, the Executive Director. We're happy to have you on today's show. It's been my pleasure, thanks for having me. And we hope to have you back at some time to hear about more things you're doing. If you have questions and or comments about this program or the Health Studies Institute at Rider University, please email us at hsi
0: at rider.edu. Thank you for taking the time to listen to your health with Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Karp is here from Rider University's Health Studies Institute every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information about the Health Studies Institute's programs, call 609-896-5093. That's 609-896-5093. Or find their webpage on rider.edu under Academics and Academic Programs. Be sure to tune in every week to expand your knowledge and perspective. And don't forget to stay healthy.